for choosing to be with us. We are beginning a new series today called Set Free. It's a series that I have been very excited about as we prepared uh, five lessons. And just like so often happens as I dig in and uh, wrestle with the thoughts that I'm wanting to share with you, it begins to be more and more personal and more and more challenging even for me. And the challenges this time went something like this. There are often times where I will go look at what's going on out there, you know, and I just go, wow, it's a war zone out there. And then uh, what's interesting, though, is that there are other times where God nudges me to help me to realize the reality is, wow, it's a war zone inside of me. To only look at the war zone out there and to feel pretty good that I'm not a war zone is uh, part of a problem. Now, I wish that I could stand up here and give you just this powerful series called Set Free and that I don't have anything to wrestle with. That's just not reality. Reality is that although I have been set free and although I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ, there are so many battles that I have to wrestle with. And just this last week, I was made aware of the very things that I'm talking about this week um, are being challenged inside of me, and so it makes it more challenging for me to bring this message. But maybe you've experienced something like that as well. So let me describe what that looks like for me a little bit. It looks like when I think in a tough scenario that I've got it figured out, that I know what's happening, and so I create my own perspective on it. We, you could call it my own narrative story of what's really happening. But then I will be drug along by my own narrative story and don't know it. As it turns out, my own narrative story, even this past week in my evaluation of a particular situation, an interpersonal situation, in my own narrative, I was like taken captive, like a prisoner of war. That my own narrative served like weaponized lies chains that were carrying me along into a place I didn't know I was being carried to. So in a way, even though I'm more than a conqueror and I'm alive in Christ and I know the truth, I didn't know I was being led captive by my own narrative into a place that was not good. Fortunately, um, that was corrected and my narrative was corrected, but unfortunately, it makes me stand up here and go, wow, this is so very real that we have to figure out how to be set free and so very tricky. Now, I don't know if you've experienced that or if you're self-aware enough to know that the war zone is not just out there, but we have a mortal enemy who is at war with each one of our souls, Okay? I don't know if you're aware of that, but I hope that throughout this series you'll, be, series you'll become more aware of how true that is. And so it's easy for me with my false narrative while I think that I'm right to be drug along like chains into a place that isn't good to forget the fact that uh, these spiritual lies are at work. Now, 
Let's get detached a little bit. I'm going to give you an example of spiritually weaponized lies that we wrestle with. And I ran into this one. Um, We're going to skip the quote and come back to it. Oh, never mind. There's no quote. Never mind. Uh, It comes from a book that is brand new. came out in July. I'm not through with it yet, so I'm not sure I'm ready to fully endorse it yet, but it's been really good so far. It's from a pastor, Jay Kim. The book title is called Analog Christian, Cultivating Contentment, Resilience, and Wisdom in the Digital Age. And in this book, he has this zinger of a quote. It's recently been said that the primary product the news media sells is division, and many Christians are buying in bulk. Now, the message that I'm bringing today is not a political one, but let me just say up front that all across America, Christians are buying in bulk. Uh, Deceptions of the enemy to divide us, and cool hatred quickly turns to hot hatred, and division is rampant in our midst, and people don't even realize that they have been held captive and drug away by weaponized lies and division and something that God would have us not be drug away by, particularly when there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God overall, and We have to aim for unity and love. So how does that happen? Well, it happens with me, and maybe it happens with you. And if you're not aware, you might think it's because of the other person, but Paul puts it this way, and we need to be made aware of this. This is in Ephesians 6.12. This is a short version. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not about the people that we're having this misunderstanding with. And the rest of this message is less political and more about human reality of interpersonal conflict and how lies divide and how lies make it so tough. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against dark powers of this world. Evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms So I don't know if you have the worldview of Jesus yet, if you really believe that to be true yet. I hold it to be true, and it makes a difference for me to deal with these things when they come against me. That the battle going on inside of me isn't just me. There is a battle against me, and I have to be very, very careful, and turn to a power that's bigger than me to figure out how to be set free from these weaponized lies and the angst and the raising up of all kinds of uh, difficulty in the middle of these kinds of conflicts. So, in short, we have an enemy who uses deceptions out there, to be sure. He's organized and he's using these lies out there in media, in all kinds of ways, but he's also very personal and at work. Let me just be real visual. In here and in here. So in myself, for those who are hearing it, and just audio, in myself, my head and in my heart. 
Now, up to this point, <clears throat> it all sounds so bleak because I've been talking about war language, I'm talking about war zones, I'm talking about a battle, I'm talking about a mortal enemy that's bigger than us, I'm talking about stuff that seems so bleak and dark. Well, the good news is we have a savior. And this savior is greater than he who is in the world. And this savior is offering himself to be present inside of you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And we have everything we need to be set free. So there's good news for us here that we need to hold on to. So don't let it be bleak. I do meet a lot of Christians, though, that don't want to look at their Christian life as a war zone. They want to look at the Christian life merely as a journey. And you, knew, you do know that the Bible does talk about journey language. As disciples, we're walking with Jesus and we're walking uh, following Jesus. That's journey language. And as we are walking with the Spirit, we are on a journey. That's true. But mark my words, the biblical authors are very, very clear that it is also a war zone. That we are still in a conflict that the kingdom of Jesus has uh, been established and now we're in a war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and we still get caught in it even though we're saved. And so we need to get a hold of the uh, five messages and more that we're bringing uh, here on the subject of being set free. So, you ready to get going? Point number one is this. Jesus led the ultimate exodus. Jesus led the ultimate exodus. Today we're going to be in John chapter 8. In the other four messages of this series, we'll be in other passages. But I want to give us some context to John chapter 8. In John chapter 7, there are these themes that are all based on the second book of the Bible, Exodus, that just as God, through Moses, led his people out of slavery, Jesus is now leading a greater exodus. Jesus led the ultimate exodus. So we see Jesus making these claims in chapter seven, and this theme continues in chapter eight, and we jump right into the thick of it. John 8, 31 through 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, most people will not argue with truth frees you. Truth is helpful. But where we get the argument is Jesus is saying far more than that. He's saying you need to hold to my teaching because that's the truth. It's my teaching and then being a disciple of my teaching, which is the truth that is going to set you free. That's saying a whole lot more than just simply truth will set you free. Now, it's also loaded because he's saying we will have deception in our own thinking. We will have lies behind every sin of our life. They're based on faulty thinking that are deceptions that are coming against us. This battle is very real. And Jesus is saying, the reason you can't quite figure out how to fix it is it's bigger than just a behavior. Self-help can't fix it because it's a power that's bigger than you're able to deal with on your own. You need a savior to deliver you and break the chains and set you free, and I'm that guy. This is Jesus. Now, as we jump into this section, it's going to get heated. 
We've just read how he frames his words to those who believe in him, but there's a whole crowd of people, and there's two kinds of people in that crowd. There's the believers, and then there's the hostiles that do not believe in him, and they're the religious leaders that are threatened by him. They envy the fact that all the crowds are looking to him, and they're starting to build a case against him. And as we enter into this passage, that case Jesus slowly begins to dismantle it, expose it, expose the lies that they're operating by, but instead of acknowledging that that's true, they will deny it, and in the middle of the denial, you'll see that they go from bad to worse, and we're just gonna see that of them. But this would be no fun if it was about those guys long ago. It's not about those guys long ago, it's about us. So even as we see this human reality played out before Jesus, it's a human reality that's played out between us and God so every day. I want you to think of your own life and how you tend to want to deny something when somebody comes and talks to you about something and how it's going from bad to worse when you do deny it and it'll get better if you acknowledge and start humbling yourself and making some changes with the help of God. So begin to see yourself in this story as well. I want to just jump a little further into it. Verse 33, here's the immediate denial. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So they don't like the fact that he's claiming that he is going to lead them out into freedom and that if you'll become his disciple and follow his teaching, you'll be set free. And they go, we've never been slaves. And I go, really? How can you say that? Your whole nation is based on the fact that you were all slaves in Egypt and God delivered you. That's the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And that you were set free from slavery by God's powerful acts. And even now, you're not a nation unto yourself. You can't even... You create your own rules and make it all happen. You have to cow to the Romans who are dominating you. You are not free. It's kind of interesting that they're totally denying that they're slaves at all. But Jesus is setting them straight that their their freedom is not about what they're saying. So let's just watch how their denial is crying out. So their denial is dark, weaponized lies causing denial. We are not slaves. We are not sinners. We don't have a problem. We're not in bondage. Jesus now is going to be very kind, but very firm and just set things straight. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. I've never met anybody that is full of both. I wish that I could reflect Jesus being full of grace, full of truth perfectly all the time. But I'm going to either be too much grace or too much truth. And sometimes I can get both of them going well, but I stumble and fumble. Not Jesus full of grace, full of truth, very kindly and firmly begins to expose what's going on here. Point number two, everyone who sins is a slave. We're not talking about Egypt. We're not talking about Rome. We're talking about sin. And that's what he's getting at now. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, what are we talking about? Sin is not just a behavior problem. Whoops, I did a bad behavior. 
Sin is not just a single isolated disobedience. Whoops, I disobeyed. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is a power that is now resting inside of us because of a rebellion in the world that took place from the beginning and now it changed humanity and it's there inside of us. And everybody who then sins, it's not just, whoops, I stepped off the path. Okay, I'm gonna step back on the path. It generally doesn't work like that. And what I want us to see is how that is so. So on the screen... I'm going to put three statements. I want you to see it up there as I read it. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Now, if we're honest, we'll recognize, whoa, that is so true. Yeah, it took me way farther than I wanted to go, and and I was stuck there way longer than I wanted to be stuck there, and it cost me far more than I wanted to pay. So... In order for this to really sink in more, I want you to read it with me and say it out loud with me on the screen. Ready? Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Why? Because sin is a power, not just a behavior, and it's powerful and at work against us inside of us, and we have to be looking to something bigger than self to be set free. Self-help won't solve this one because sin is a self-problem, okay? We need a savior bigger than ourselves to deal with this problem. Now, I want you to take note how the religious leader's pride gets in the way of Jesus' kindness here when he begins to expose what's really going on. And rather than acknowledge and get better, they deny and get worse, okay? John 8, 37 through 41. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Now that's a huge statement. They're thinking, I could just picture them sneaking glances at each other. How does he know this? Because they've been talking about this. They're ready to get rid of this guy. They think that he is they got to show the crowd that he's got to be wrong. And Jesus exposes it right in front of everybody. And he even says, why? Because you have no room for my word. They're busy with their own weaponized lies. Their narrative thought about what is really taking place. Now, I want us to see this the way we enter into conflicts as well. And division. When there's anger welling up inside of us, there's a narrative filter inside of us. And when we deny that filter and it's exposed, we usually deny even stronger and we have to be really careful because rather than getting better, it gets worse. Have you ever been in that crazy cycle? You're in a fight and there's a denial and accusation, accusation, denial, back and forth and the crazy thing gets even crazier and it's like, where do we even start? This thing is way bigger. I gotta gotta leave, okay? How do I know that? Because I'm a man, I'm human. All right. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, and a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father, 
We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now Jesus is not sidestepping their murderous intent. He's just speaking it out in the open, kindly and firmly. And he calls it out. So sin is taking them much farther than they want to go. Now it's out in the open, and rather than acknowledge and back down and back off and become quieter, they are bulging, vain, red-faced, more intent on killing this guy. So they've just been called out, and it's true, and they know it's true, as it's like, these are religious leaders that want to kill him more and denying that there's a problem. How? Because every time you have an interpretive filter and you're in the wrong, you're going to filter it so you're in the right. And as you interpret it that you're in the right, you're going to frame it that that guy's in the wrong and we need to get rid of him. Sin fills them, so they had no room for Jesus' word, verse 37, which is God's word. Let's keep reading. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. So God's word is unclear because they have closed themselves off to Jesus. They're in a really dangerous place and don't know it. And Jesus is busy trying to show them how a dangerous of a place they're in. But their pride, which is the root of every sin, by the way, is growing in resistance and their sin is getting larger. Until that sin is acknowledged and confessed, they cannot hear Jesus and they cannot hear God. Their pride will not admit Jesus is correct and Jesus described accurately what they planned to do and they knew it, but they're not backing down. Even though they're in fact planning somehow to kill Jesus, they lamely defend their spiritual status. Wow. Such denial only made possible when lies, weaponized lies, have you in chains and you're a prisoner of war and you believe your own lies and your own denial. So frequent in our human interactions. It's taking place here. That's a dangerous place to be. Verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. Whoa, I mean, he didn't have to come through that strong at first, but when they keep denying, you have to keep pressing because you've got to crack that nut because they're in trouble. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now that is like the grandest statement ever that I only hear one person say. I would never say, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Hello? Everybody goes, yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> Just talk to his wife. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> right? Jesus can say this because nobody would be able to prove him 
guilty of sin. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. He's saying this to the religious leaders of Judaism. You do not belong to God. Do you think this is going to get him killed? Yes. It's part of the plan. But he's given them a chance. And a few of them, we read in Acts, so very few, after his resurrection, turned. I'm really glad that there is grace here to let them know in advance this is truth. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Just throw it back on him, make the accusation, all the fingers point his direction because everybody's listening here. They were dead set on opposing Jesus and they're in a very dangerous position indeed before Almighty God. Verse 49, Jesus responds, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? I have had those statements said to me so frequently by people that I'm trying to help out of sin. Who do you think you are? Denial? Flip the accusation. Point the finger the other direction. The heat is not something I'm going to own. And yet they offer some interesting questions. And this last one is a doozy that Jesus is going to answer. He's been answering it all along, but the way he's going to answer it next is amazing. Who do you think you are? Jesus knew who he was. Point number three, but the truth will set you free. We don't have to be stuck in sin. The truth will set you free. I want to see the progression of thought that the Apostle John in, in this idea of truth setting you free is laying out before us. So I'll put it on the screen rapidly here. Um, it's a lot more robust than this, but here's a quick look. Verse one in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. And then he identifies that the word, God's word became flesh in Jesus, verse 14. And then in chapter eight, where we are, he said, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not just God's word, God truth in flesh. You must hold to Jesus' teaching and that's what's gonna set you free from sin. And then in chapter 14, we hear from Jesus' own words, I am the truth. He didn't say, I teach the truth. He says, I am the truth. Powerful, powerful progression here. So, similarly, 
I want to back up to chapter 7 and show you a verse that thinks opposite of our American way of thinking. Completely opposite. In John 7, Jesus said, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Now I want to show you how this is so opposite from our thinking. Choose to obey first and then you will know it's true. It's basically what he's saying. And you'll know that I'm true. It's basically what he's saying. But I want to put it this way. We usually want to be convinced of the truth first before we will modify our behavior. First convince me. And then I might change. Jesus says something different. Until you decide to live the truth, you will not know it or know me or be set free. If you want to be convinced, choose to do what Jesus teaches first. And then you will know, then you'll be convinced this is the method. We go, what? How does that work? Well, we know how it works from the time we were kids. Let me just put it more simply. If you want to know how to ride a bike, you've got to pedal. If you want to know how to ride a bike, you will never know how to ride a bike by studying it. You will never be convinced that you know how to ride a bike until you get on it. You will never know how to ride a bike until you get on it and pedal. Jesus is saying something as simple as that. The way you know me, the way you know truth is not abstractly. It's not on the outside. You've got to commit and take steps here or you will never know me. Try me. That's how you'll trust me. Try me. If you trust me, your faith is developing. Get on your bike and pedal. Point number four. Jesus claimed more than anyone expected. So let's just truncate this into some, here's the question, here's the answer kind of together. Verse 53. Are you greater than your father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now we're going to just jump to Jesus' answer. This is the most profound answer. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. What is going on here? The people listening, these religious leaders, knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. To us, it's like... Weird grammar. Before Abraham was born, I am. What, what are you saying? Well, let's know the chronology first. Abraham, the father of Judaism, lived 2,000 years before Jesus came on the scene in the first Christmas. Jesus is saying, that's not when I first arrived. I've been self-existent from before time began. You know, Exodus 3, when Moses said to God, who are you? If you're asking me to deliver your people, who are you? What's your name? What should I say to the people? Is the name of the God who's sending me to deliver them? And God says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. That is an appropriate name for God and only God in this. All of us owe our existence to something before us. I came from my parents, my parents came from their parents. Like the chicken or the egg, you know, you eventually have to get back to the beginning. Well, even the beginning, the universe itself came from something, and God saying, except me, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I have no beginning, I have no end. Everything owes its existence to me. Only I am self-existent, and Jesus says, who am I? Before, before Abraham was born, you think I am Claiming something about Abraham? Oh, yes, I'm greater than Abraham. Before Abraham was born, I 
am. And they immediately picked up stones to stone him because he's claiming to be the self-existent God himself. I believe that his claim is not blasphemous, but precisely the truth. God the Father loved us so much that he sent God the Son. God the Son loved his Father so much that he went through the endurance of the cross for the joy that's set before him. He came from heaven in all glory and stepped down in humility, taking the form of a servant, a servant to serve all of us even to the point of death. And therefore God highly exalted him and raised him above every name. And that every knee would bow, every tongue confess eventually that he is who he claimed to be, one with God the Father. God the Father, one with his Son, had one united plan. And because Jesus was victorious, as God sent the Son, Jesus sent the Spirit of God to those who believe in him so that we have the Spirit of God who breaks the chains of every sin and breaks the chains of any power that holds us back from being fully surrendered to God. And when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God fills us so that we have the power to break the power of sin in our lives. This is the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. God loves you so much. There is nothing that you have done that cannot be forgiven because Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest in all of the universe, name above all names, was willing to pay the debt that you owe to set you free. So here are the four points that we've been working on. Jesus led the ultimate exodus. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but the truth will set you free. Jesus claimed more than anyone expected. I'll finish with this. Get on your bike and pedal. Lord God, we are so grateful for the truth that came in embodiment in Jesus. It's more than logic, more than words. It's life itself, the way that we walk in, the victory over the battle, our supreme king and warrior. Oh God, my life is such a mess, but you are so magnificent. You fill me with everything that I need for life and godliness. I humble myself before you. You oppose the pride that's in my heart. I do not want to be proud. I don't want you against me. I humble myself and say to you, I'm a mess and I need you. I need you in every way. Fill me. Break the bonds. Help me to deal with those realities with your truth and know you well and serve you well. You who are over all and through all and in all, shine through me. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team to the left of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, go get some prayer. Hope to see you next week for the next installment of Set Free. God bless you and have a wonderful day.